Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Hey, Keith, how are you, sir? Disappointed, but but I've gotten over it. I think that's how we all are. You got to turn the page. In the moment, I was certainly disappointed, and we're talking about FSU basketball, obviously. Uh, The reality is, Keith, I got concerned leading up to the game when I realized that every person I know locally in the media – and then I saw that all the national media, at least the ones I tuned into, were all picking Florida State. And I said, somebody's missing something here. Not everybody you know, can be I, on Florida State. Well, and as I said, and it may be too boastful, but I believe that FSU, if they got past Michigan, would have an absolute wonderful chance moving forward. Um, because I, I, I knew they were good, but I didn't know they were that good. And uh, I've said it to a couple of people. I'll probably repeat myself a couple more times. But that game plan that Michigan, that Jawan Howard put together for that Michigan squad with his staff, knowing that Florida State was going was gonna to switch one through five, they had their kids ready for that. And they took advantage of, of what normally is a very, very strong part of Florida State's game. And my, my hat's off to them. That was a very, very well executed game plan. It was. I didn't think that Florida State played very well, though, almost across the board. And there's reasons for that. I guess big picture, Keith, you know, leading up to the game when we're when we're playing the well, if they are getting healthier and they seem to be getting uh, a little more comfortable and MJ's a little more when we're when we're making all those conditional statements that have to go right for a win as compared to saying, you know what, if they just if they just play like they're they've been playing and things don't completely fall apart, they're going to win, and we're doing it the other way, that should have been a sign yeah. that we're uh, – there, there's too many ifs in there. Well, um, back to one of the, the, one of the uh, observations you made before the tournament started about practice time and playing time in different arenas. Um, when they first flashed that stat, because I think FSU was 0 for 6 uh, in the beginning of that ballgame for 3, and they flashed up that statistic that Florida State was 0 for 18 – at one point in that building from beyond the arc, uh, that got my attention. <laughs> well, and I was, we, we talked about it last week and unfortunately yeah. it went that way. I, here's the thing we don't know though. And Leonard's not going to say it. We don't know how hurt any of those guys were and how much practice time was truly missed because the turnovers got worse as the season wore on. And that's not going to be the norm. And I just have to think that if you look at the last six weeks, in terms of the way they want to play their rotations, I don't think they had those guys out there together. I think MJ missed a ton of time. 
I think Barnes missed a ton of time. I think there were some others. So you just didn't have your, and this sounds like excuse making, but I think it was a factor. The, the bigger, the bigger thing, if we go all the way back to the start of the season, Keith, there were no, there were, how many non-conference games did Florida state play three or four instead of 15 or. Exactly. Exactly. Think about what usually happens in those 15 games. Leonard goes so deep with his bench, all those got deeper than the rest of the year. Those guys get experience. They play combinations. They manage end game situations and inbounds, and they never got that chance to do it. And then the way the season unfolded, they were either on fire or the opposite, you know, so they were winning games by 25 where you're not really in a crunch time and have to execute end game a lot. I mean, they, they, Scotty Barnes got the, the shot, you know, there were a couple, but um, I just think generally speaking, Leonard's teams are always playing the best at the end of the year. And this year wasn't one of them. And whether it's COVID or injuries or the lack of non-conference, a lot of factors and credit yeah. Michigan, Michigan was better. Two things. And then we'll move on. Number one, I didn't look at the exact numbers, but I think Michigan played plus or minus 10 more games than Florida state. did. At least eight, maybe 10. Yeah. That's a big difference. And secondly, we don't want to get into the officiating. Uh, you know, coaches hate officials. The only thing that coaches really hate more is when the calls are so disproportionate. We, we could have an hour conversation about whether they were or weren't fouls, but when Michigan has 10 fouls and Florida State had 22 or 24, whatever it is, that's what drive coaches crazy. And both of those were going against Florida State. Lack of time in other games, as you brought out, and then that disparity in the fouls, right, wrong, or different. And you had cold shooting, and you end up losing by 18 to a very good team. Great irony in that in last night's game, which Michigan lost, Keith, at the end of the game, they weren't even they, – they hadn't committed seven fouls yet, and they were trailing. So they had fouls to – they had to go commit fouls to get UCLA to the line. Exactly. Uh, by the way, in the first half of that game – now, the refs called it e- evenly last night because it wasn't like – I think UCLA had one foul. They were under seven minutes in the first half, and it was team fouls, UCLA one, Michigan none at the under seven. And, and we all know that Florida State's over the limit, you know, by the midpoint of most first halves. And the fans are just crazy. NFL or NBA players are just crazy. And all of the frustration everybody expressed in the UConn win on the women's side when allegedly uh, there was a foul committed. We all talk about in the last 30 seconds of the game, we want the officials to swallow the whistle and, and not let a foul decide the outcome but everybody hates UConn so much. The women's team at UConn, they wanted that foul called and give uh, whoever they were playing, I don't even know who it was, forget who it was, uh, an opportunity. Uh, you can't satisfy people. Is that is that pretty common? <laughs> yeah, you certainly can't satisfy all the people all the time. Uh, that's for sure. Um, yeah, bottom line, the officials didn't cost Florida State the game. And no. uh, I, don't, I don't think either of us are going to complain about uh, we can complain about the way the season ended, but not the ultimate results from this season. It, w- it was another good year. We now take no, we, we take it, going it, to the tournament for granted now, like it's just going to happen. We've already penciled them in for next year. And how about this analogy? Okay, and I'm going to be the author of it. Late '80s, early '90s. You know, Coach Bowden couldn't get to the national championship game because of who? Miami. At gum, we want Leonard at the Final Four. We want Leonard to win a national championship, but he's got to get by who? Michigan. <laughs> well, 
and Mark Few, who's got Gonzaga in the Final Four, as good as Gonzaga's been, this is only their second Final Four, and he hasn't won one yet. So now we'll see if they close it out. They look like the best of the bunch. All right, we'll we'll get off basketball here, folks. I know you're you've turned the page already. We we have a really extended conversation coming up next segment with uh, Booster Pres Seminole Booster President and CEO Michael Alford about changes, about fundraising. Also about name image likeness, which I don't think many listeners or FSU fans are aware that he's right in the middle of that national conversation in a very prominent role. So, Keith, I look forward to that conversation. Very much, very much. All right, that's coming up next. Then Bob Ferrante, our Osceola Insider. It's all straight ahead. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ back with you. And let's open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And Really pleased. We've waited some time to, to have this conversation, and uh, I know you had to get your your feet planted on the ground, and I don't think you've stopped since you since you arrived in Tallahassee, but we're, we're really pleased to welcome the, the president and CEO of Seminole Boosters, Michael Alford, to the program. Michael, how are you? I'm doing excellent, Tom. Uh, thanks for having me on. KJ, it's great to meet you, and uh, thanks for all y'all do to support FSU and the university. Well, and, and thank you for what you're doing to support FSU and the university, and uh, I'm sure... Uh, you know, to go Forrest Gump here, it's it's been a box of chocolates, and every day you're not quite sure what you're going to get. Uh, and, and maybe that's not the best starting point, but I, but I would expect that a lot of what you've you've walked into is, hey, I knew I was going to have to fix this, but like any new job, hey, I've got to work on this too. And so there's been a lot for you to learn about in in your time here at FSU. Uh, without a doubt, you know, Andy Miller uh, is such an icon in, in this industry, and uh, following him is a real honor. You know, and I, I talk about it a lot. It's really taking the torch and, and continuing to carry it a little forward. You know, everybody has different management styles. Everybody has different uh, visions of, of what needs to get accomplished. And you come in and you, you look at what's been done in the past. You learn the history. You, you personally sit down and talk to people who were involved and, and get as much detail as you can. But then you're going to put your own touches on it. And one thing that we're really trying to focus on right now is, is making sure we communicate our vision and we're extremely transparent with our donor base and the university. So they, they know what we're doing on a daily basis. And I can tell you the communication has been unbelievable since I've arrived and and going out on tour with coach Norvell um, because of COVID, we couldn't go out and do the big tours. So we did some more private dinners, but really the number one question I always gets what's the communication like it's it's amazing that's the first question I get when I'm talking to someone but I can tell you I mean A.D. Colbert and I probably talk four or five times a day uh, if not in person on the phone uh, between President Thrasher and, and Chairman Burr and Chairman and Booster Chairman Bob Davis uh, I don't know what people ask me about when there's non-communication because I can tell you we're on the same page Coach Norvell and I speak every day uh, the vision is there and we're in lopstead with each other. 
I'm just looking forward to the fact of having this conversation, what, 45 years from now, because I think that's how long Andy was around. <laughs> I was. first arrived on campus in 77, and he was wet behind the ears and full of uh, blank and vinegar. And uh, so you have replaced uh, uh, the ever-ready ever bunny or whatever we call Jim. <laughs> What, what's been your biggest surprise? You obviously know Florida State. You've had dealings uh, in your various other capacities. But uh, I like to know, you know, what's the biggest thing that surprised you about Florida State that you didn't know when you first came on board? Well, that's a good question, Keith. And it's really nothing that nice surprised me. Uh, Florida State has such a great reputation of the people. And you've always heard about that. And, and like you referenced, uh, you know, I've had dealings with Florida State. I've never been to Tallahassee, believe it or not. Um, I'd always played as an athlete, played Florida State, but never played in Tallahassee. Played them at our place. And, um, and then through the industry, just never been here for a game, which was very surprising. But you always heard about the great people and passion. And it, the thing that surprised me was that was so true. Uh, when I got here and I've traveled around the state, talked to people and their love for this institution and really their love to see it succeed has really stood out to me. And Jim, listening to their vision and, and where they want the program to go, not only the booster organization, but the program in the university it is right in line with what President Thrasher wants, what A.D. Colbert wants, what I want, and putting those processes together to have success in the mirror what the great people want as a vision for this for this institution. And that's been the most um, joyful for me is getting out and meeting people and hearing their stories and just understanding that what you heard in the industry about the great people of Florida State is really true. <laughs> you get here and they're just very authentic fans. And that's that's the word I use all the time is authentic. And uh, just, they, the love they have has really stood out to me. We're talking with Michael Alford, president and CEO of Seminole Boosters. Michael, one of the changes that's been noticeable to me, and many of our listeners are aware, but many may not realize, they, they think I sustain myself just full-time in sports doing a one-hour show a week. But <laughs> my, my main role is at the FSU Foundation. And uh, to me, on the academic side, uh, when you talk about donors, it's about impact and changing lives and funding scholarships or professorships that are making a difference for students. Yeah. And to me, when I look at the seminal booster messaging since your arrival, really, that has been a noticeable shift to me that it's not about make a gift because you can get a better ticket or a better parking spot, but it is about help improve the strength program or the academic support that the student athletes receive. And I'll just let you elaborate on that, that philosophy. Yeah, Tom, and thanks for giving me that opportunity because it is a slight shift in message. Uh, that we're going out, a slight shift in vision, let's say, that we're going out and uh, discussing and, and sharing with our constituents. But I, I'm fortunate. I, I received a college scholarship, much like Keith, and, and I was able to go through uh, and have a, be a Division One athlete, understand how that shaped my life and, and the people that were involved and that I got to meet. Uh, my, I'm fortunate my wife was a Division One athlete, shaped her life. I have two, one daughter who's graduated who is a division one athlete. And I've seen the impact on her. I have one going through it right now. And I have a junior in high school that expires to be one. I see, having been in this business, I see the difference that it makes. 
and it's going out and, and telling these, we've got 550 athletes, going out 550 unique stories and the impact that we're able to have on them through their careers here and make sure that they graduate with a, with a great degree from this great institution, a very meaningful degree uh, and holding that in one hand and having a couple of championship rings on the other, that really is impactful to them. And the annual fund uh, and what we're able to provide is truly the educational and leadership opportunities that while they're here, that they have the best tutoring, they have the best nutrition available so that they can succeed on the field and in the classroom. They have professional development that we can prepare them for when they graduate, that they're prepared to go out and be meaningful contributors to society. Those are the programs that the annual fund really goes to fund. And I can't tell you, there's no more joy of seeing someone graduate and then seeing them come back in five years and then they're, they've been successful. And that's what we're here to do because it teaches you the, the great game of, of sports teaches you so many life lessons that prepares you for business to go out and, and be meaningful contributors to society. And so many of our student athletes, I mean, a ton of them are first generation college uh, goers in their family. So, you know, and we know what that means. A college degree represents about studies today, about a million and a half more income in your lifetime you know, with a college degree. But more than that, we're changing their expectation in life, but it's generational. So they're the first one to graduate with a college degree because we provided, the annual fund has provided these, this funding to prepare them. So now they graduate, but now it's changed the expectations of their family when they go out. So you've changed a generational gap of expectations that now the expectation of that family is to go out and, gra and be a college graduate. Um, so it really affects families. And that's what wakes me up every morning. I could have stayed in the NFL and, and stayed with Mr. Jones at the Cowboys forever. But when I woke up out of bed, and I always use poor Jason Witt, my friend, as an example, but I wasn't making a difference in his life uh, by, by coming to work every day. But what we're able to do and the message we're able to do, it truly makes a difference in people's lives. And that's, that's what gets you up every morning. And this is more of a, a product of the athletics department as opposed to the boosters, but you've got a good product to sell. Florida State's comprehensive excellence yes. across all venues is very, very evident today. Oh, there's no doubt, KJ. You look at uh, what President Thrasher has done on campus. Uh, well, one, the beauty of campus. Well, I mean, it's, it's the most remarkable place I've ever stepped foot on. And then you, you see what he's done on the academic side and, and what a degree from here really truly means out in, in the business community and the respect that it has a degree from Florida State means. And then you look at the success we're able to provide you in your sport uh, and um, the facilities that, that we're looking at upgrading and con continuing doing that and making sure we're cutting edge. But also the, the idea of the coaching staff. That what I, one thing that's impressed me is the, the values that our coaching staffs have from every sport, from, from soccer to football. Um, they truly care about the student athlete and they care about them after college. Um, they're really installing core values that lead to success. And that's something that's really impressed me as well. Uh, as I've gotten to know the coaches, I've sat down, I've gotten to meet some of the student athletes 
And really the core mission is, is a true educational mission, holistic educational mission of this department. And that's something that's really stood out. And you do have that to sell, Keith. And we have great kids that come here and really have an opportunity to grow professionally and in their sport. There's not a better place to do it. Can you give an update on, uh, just to finish the annual fund portion of the conversation, on, on how that's going? And then I, I get this question a lot. I, I think folks just, they're not deep enough in the weeds. It's not what they do to understand it. But sometimes there's a misconception that a scholarship just means that no money is changing hands and the university is just saying the student athletes in for free when the reality is that, that Seminole Boosters has to raise those dollars to yes. pay the uni- to, the right side of the university is paying the left side of the university. And I'll let you take it from right. there. Uh, no, yeah, athletics is self-supported. Uh, there's no subsidy from the state of Florida coming coming to athletics. So that means, you know, we receive no tuition waivers from the university. So we pay the full cost of every scholarship, and uh, and that's a, that's a big that's a big delta every year in our revenue streams that goes over there. So it's really about going out and providing those funding. We're fully funded. And we wouldn't have it any other way. So to do that, we have to go uh, raise the money to support the scholarships. And and that's something that you just have to do. And the opportunities you provide those student athletes, we wouldn't have it any other way. And I go back to that's where the annual fund goes. And annual fund's going really well right now. Uh, when I first got here, and you're right, Tom, it was kind of gotten to where it was tied to tickets. And, and we're, we're creating a different message, um, uh, a very authentic message. But we had at one time looking at the history, doing my analysis when I first arrived. At one time, we were at over 16,000 booster members. We had dropped to about 9,300. And that you look at the math on that, that re- represented $6 million annually. Uh, not, not over the length, annually, that we weren't able to transfer over to, to provide those leadership and educational opportunities for those student athletes. So getting our numbers back up is number one priority. The annual fund is the heartbeat of our organization. It's the heartbeat of what the athletic department's able to fund. And so just getting out and asking people to, to join. Um, you know, it's alarming in numbers when you, when you break it down. We have the largest alumni base in our conference. The largest alumni base in our conference. Bigger than North Carolina's, bigger than Virginia Tech's. Uh, we're number one. Uh, but yet our donor base isn't there. And that's something that really stood out to me. We have 47,000 alumni in Leon County, but roughly about 3,000 of them are boosters. Uh, there, there's a big, you know, we need to get out and just share our message more and ask people to join at any level. Uh, we're not asking you to join at the highest. Um, we're asking any level, just be a member, help us support these young men and women and, and their dreams and goals. As they, as they compete here and represent the university, but give them the resources to be successful also in their leadership endeavors. I know as I look at the calendar that we've got a ticket priority deadline coming up in the next 10 days or so. What can you share on that front? Yes, sir. April 9th um, is, is something that uh, we're out talking about because we just we, we need people to renew. It allows us to, to be able to forecast of, of where we're going to be. We're planning a full stadium. Um, I'm really excited about that. And um, April 9th is our deadline, and uh, we're going to stay to deadlines. Um, it's very important that we, we stay to deadlines because it allows us to be able to go out 
and offer op other opportunities to people who want to join us um, that now they have some different locations they can choose to to, to pick their seats or, or vice versa from. So April 9th is our deadline and, and we're pounding the phones right now reminding people of that. Michael, changing gears just a little bit. As, as we are sitting, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States is hearing a case that most of our listeners, most, most fans are not aware of relative to remuneration to uh, quote unquote student athletes. We don't get, need to get in the weeds on that. Other than Tom, I will remind you that the last Supreme Court ruling was in 1984, right. and uh, Oklahoma and Georgia sued the NCAA and won, and that's what led to Sunshine Network and ESPN and everything else that came about on the television side. But, segue, you also have some uh, personal insight in another topic that we've talked about on our show that's just coming up, and that's the name, image, and likeness quote-unquote legislation. California and Florida have passed things. National Congress is looking at it. Again, a Department of Athletics type of thing, but just because you're back down and, and where you come from, you have familiarity with us. You know, dive in the middle and work both ways on the uh, on the concept of this NIL um, idea. Yeah, uh, KJ, I, I can tell you, I, I spent half my time over the last year and a half at night and uh, on the phones talking nationally, talking to congressmen, talking to their, their representatives, um, going through every bill. I got a book over here. It's got every state's bill on it. That's about this thick uh, and every legislation has been discussed. Um, I chair uh, the lead one. Uh, so I represent every athletic director in the country and, and co-chair uh, our little association, uh, a group of us that have been working with the NCAA uh, on this for, for the last year, year and a half. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time on it. Um, also, I'm a part of a, a group of six that the NCAA has formed to, uh, let's say, help advise uh, them as they, as they move forward on um, the best practices move that we need to do. And I do one reason that they asked me to chair is because of my experience in the NFL and working alongside professional athletes and, and knowing um, the benefits of how we have set it up, working with agents and uh, getting the best um, processes put in place that are successful. I can tell you, uh, I'm 100% in favor of name, image, and likeness. I am in favor of student athletes having that right, being able to go out and market themselves. And we're looking at, um, but doing it the right way and have checks and balances. Um, right now, we're looking here at Florida State of putting programs together to educate our student athletes, because I think that's also very important. Not only educate them on the right way to go about it, but how do they increase their presence, their brand? How do they make themselves more marketable? So we're setting up classes that any student can take to come in. And because I think not only is it important for athlete A, it's important for a fraternity, sorority, student, any organization on campus or any student on campus to be able to come in and take classes in entrepreneurship on how do I make myself more marketable to the job force. I, th I think that's very important. Um, so we have been working very diligently on, on setting up processes that these student athletes can go um, understand what their rights are, uh, because it concerns me, um, you know, as a 17, 18 year old kid, you're going to have a marketing agent now 
are you getting taken advantage of? But the key part is at the end of the day, and, and this is what I talk about uh, to our groups is we need to educate the student athlete uh, and the student on, on what is right. But at the end of the day, they're gonna make their own decision. We cannot make those decisions for them. Um, and we also need to educate our coaches, KJ. This is one thing that, that I bring up and I use Sue always as an example, uh, who I'm so glad she's coming back. But you're going to have instances where you, you have student athletes who have signed these marketing agreements and understand that you're now in the real world. Having done these for a living, there's going to be clauses in all these agreements. Um, that I'm an 18-year-old youngster, and I've got this marketing agreement. I just turned the ball over four times. I'm no longer in the starting five. But that agreement, there's going to be language in there. That's null and void. Now, if you're representing a boutique A or car dealership A or whatever your marketing agreement is with, that, that, that is now gone. And you're going to have student athletes coming to coaches, coming to administrators going, you don't understand. I, I, I've already spent either I've already spent that money <laughs> or I send that money. I have to start. Well, that's putting a lot of pressure now on coaches. So we're going to also set up programs to educate our coaching staffs on different philosophies that could come about. But I am in favor um, of this. I think it's, it's in, it needs to happen. It's the right thing to do is to give them their rights, and, uh, but also stand a little hands off um, and give them their rights and, and let them negotiate their, the, and market themselves, educate them on how to do it but set up parameters where they're doing it the right way. And, and uh, we're trying to educate them on that. You've been working on that for the last year and a half. I have had many a sleepless night. I have not even shared this with Tom about the absolute lost revenue I could have had in 1979 <laughs> and 1980 if Monk and I had become the spokesperson for Winnie's Washroom, which was located at the end of Hayden Drive and was a freestanding coin-operated laundry, but she'd also do your wash if you paid her. Now, I'm attempting to be funny, just yeah. levity. I don't mean that the NIL issue is is uh, funny, but uh, that's what I've been spending my last year and a half, uh, the sleepless night. I get it. And, you know, you're going to have student athletes that, you know, let's say top 0.02%. That can really go national, right? You're, you're going to have a, a quarterback here, a point guard here, that's really a national brand. And, and they're going to be able to really go out and create some opportunities for themselves in favor of that, 100% in favor of that. Um, you're going to have some that are uh, other athletes that are very regional or even very, very local. It, you may be a modeling dresses on a boutique store in, in college town and, and, and get a small little um, stipend for that. I'm in favor of that. The question is going to be just making sure we also educate our, our donors on uh, what's the proper way to go about this. Cause some of them own businesses, they're gonna wanna help these student athletes. And it's making sure that we educate them as well on what's the right thing to do. And, and at the end of the day, and it's also educating our student athletes that at the end of the day, if you're not moving the needle uh, on, on, on a return on investment from these businesses, you're gonna get dropped. Um, one thing I point out uh, to this, uh, to the committee, and I got a, a lot of head nods early on that they had not thought about. It. I go, one thing that's going to help us 
because there will be um, clauses in these contracts, having done them forever at the professional level, that if there's if you're not passing grades or, or let's say you, you have an instance off the field, well, that also drops you. <laughs> there's going to be conduct clauses within these contracts. I go, that's we're going to teach them the word comportment. We're going to teach them the word comportment. That helps you. So, so it, it is a shift in athletics. Is it going to, this is my personal opinion. Everybody, when we did the cost of attendance, if you remember, that was the right thing to do. And everybody thought that would just kill division one athletics. It had no effect whatsoever. At the end of the day, I think this is going to, this is the right thing to do. Is it going to change the way we look and do a few things? What 100% agree. Is it going to be the death of, of division one athletics? No, I, I, I just personally don't think, I think two years from now, we'll look back like we did the cost of attendance and go, Hey, we've, it's running smooth. It's not affecting us at all. A couple more questions and we'll wrap up one related to this. So July 1st is when Florida's law would, would go into, uh, you know, would be enacted. Do you think that, uh, and I think the, the layman would understand the issues presented if every state has a different set of rules on this. Yes. I mean, That's uh, not good, Tom. Yeah. So <laughs> do, do, you, do you think Congress will get there and there'll be some federal legislation by July 1? We're hoping. Uh, we're working day and night on it. Uh, you know, and it, it's funny how many congressmen I've talked to and their people. Uh, someone who really has a good handle on it is Congressman Gonzalez out of Ohio. Um, you know, he played Ohio State, played in the NFL. He really, he's the guy I'd look at and, and talk to his family. He, he, he needs to be the voice on that floor as much as he can because he understands it better, than, in my opinion, than anyone. Um, and some are over here and some are over there. And uh, just trying to make sure you get a middle ground where and wherever it ends up that people understand there's going to be consequences regardless. Uh, there's going to have to be some financial restraints. Um, if we get to a certain point that here as an athletic department, we're going to have to adjust some on our finances and the way we look at things um, is just, it's going to happen. Um, so it's just making sure that they educate the, the congressmen because they, a lot of them never lived it and their people never lived in this in this industry that we're educating them on, on a lot of the things they're wanting to do, we're already doing. <laughs> and that was a shock to many of them. They were like, Oh, you need to be providing food, do it 24 seven nutrition's 24 seven. What, what you are. Yeah. Well, you need to be providing a stipend 24 seven. Got it. And we already do that. A lot of things they were wanting doesn't change the way we do business at all. They, they didn't realize all the benefits that a student already receives. It was eye-opening to a lot of them. Um, they didn't realize the academic support that's provided. Um, a lot of those things has been eye-opening to a lot of people on that hill. Uh, but it's making sure we're getting our message to them so they understand all the benefits that the students already receive, but also allowing them to go out and market themselves as a professional. And, and final question for you, and thank you so much for your time and insight today. Uh, I'm not sure what you can share. I know the Democrat had an article, obviously the university board of trustees meets tomorrow uh, in Tallahassee, but regarding possible stadium enhancements or, and again, can, can you offer anything up at this point? Yeah, Tom, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you just a tad. Um, uh, I'm, we did a study um, and we did it with the industry leader CSO. 
who um, I've seen about every study CSL did. They do everything from when the Raiders want to transfer from LA back to Oakland, go in and, and do the market study on the city supporting every NFL, NBA franchise to SoFi Stadium, to the new stadium in Vegas. And they did ours at Cowboy Stadium. I hired them to do the renovation at Oklahoma uh, to come in and do that study. Um, so we did that study at the booster before I got here uh, about a year ago. And uh, looking at the numbers that came back from our fan base and really getting into the analytical side of it. But I have never, and I see, like I said, I see every study CSL does. Uh, we used them at the Cowboys and was so impressed with them. Mr. Jones actually bought the company. <laughs> so that's tell you a little bit. But so looking at what their numbers are, I've never seen numbers this high. And we had some of the highest respondents, uh, number of respondents back to our survey they've ever had. And looking at the number, our fans are, are are really just talking about they want a different experience in Doe Campbell Stadium and different amenities and different opportunities for, for different experiences. So it's taken that study and we hired Populous, a sports architectural firm, to come in and give us, say, here's, here's what our fans say they wanted. Um, how do we incorporate this into this facility? So they've got some initial renderings um, of what uh, we think we can do. And so I'm talking to the board tomorrow, basically just saying pre-sale uh, is, is just the easiest way to do it. We've got the concepts from our fans and our season ticket holders that this is what they want. We're going to take their feedback. We're going to incorporate that into Doe Campbell. And all, we're not asking for bonding. I'm very cognizant of the potential downgrading of bond ratings. And we're not asking for to go in and ask for financing right now. We're just asking for the right um, to go out and just talk to our fan base, talk to our donors uh, about this process. And what I didn't want to do is I try to be as transparent as possible. You know that, Tom. And I didn't want to be out talking to our constituents and have a board member of the university go, what are you talking about? We don't know anything about this, this process. Um, so it's really just going to the board and saying, here's the process we would like to go about. Number one is sitting down face-to-face with every person uh, that this affects and letting them give us feedback and letting them talk about what they would like in a stadium. And that's truly all it is, uh, is just uh, making sure that they're aware that we want to have these discussions. We want to sit down face-to-face, talk about the renovations, the potential renovations to the stadium, and try to get buy-in from our fan base that then we can come back at some point uh, in the near future. Or, you know, when I say near future, these are years project. Near future is about a year and a half in stadium constructions. And, and sit down and say, hey, we have these many commitments. This is where I think we can land. Now let's look at the financial implications of this. And Michael, to be clear, this is not a substitute for the prior commitments of relative to an operations building Hauser renovations, other facility renovations, the Tucker Center. This is uh, in addition to that. This is in the future, so to speak. Yes. Uh, I just want our listeners to be clear about this. It doesn't replace other things that are on the table. No, sorry. It does not replace other projects, replace other projects that we're currently working on. Uh, well, this is making sure, uh, Keith, what you want to do, and, I, and I've been fortunate enough to have been a part of either in the NFL or the college space, um, renovations like this, our brand new buildings. Um, what you want to do is be doing them at the same time. Um, as we look at financial models, and I've got about 30 pages of pro formas 
um, that I've worked on. And, and I've taken the same performer we did to build Cowboy Stadium with, with this renovation. It's the same process. Um, looking at that, and but you want to be talking to your folks at the same time uh, because they got to mirror each other. Um, so you can't be working on the financial side of it and, and coming up with solutions without getting direct feedback from your fan base. So it's, it's really um, trying to do those at the same time so you don't get here and then you have another year and a half wait. Um, and it's working simultaneously uh, to make sure that we're incorporating what our fans really want. Uh, we heard them. We listened to them. They answered the study in alarming numbers. Um, the, some of the, per, I mean, 90, what is it? 91% of our fan base said they want a long-term enhancement improvements to dope. I mean, that, that's, that's alarming high numbers um, that we're looking at. And it's funny, don't get, and I'll talk percentages and, and 4% said they want to buy a suite or they, they want a suite and they want us to sit there and talk to them. And someone go, well, that's not a very high number. I go, that represents 250 people. We're sold out of suites next year. And we don't have that many suites. Exactly. Yeah, we're sold out. Uh, so that's 250 new people that, that have identified themselves as, hey, come see me about a suite. And we don't have any to talk to them about. Um, so it's, it's just sitting down and making sure we do it the right way, but doing it at the same time simultaneously as we work on the pro forma that we're also having those conversations with our fan base. Makes sense. We'll, uh, We'll end this now because we could keep this conversation going for a long time, but uh, really enlightening. Appreciate your time and uh, good luck to you. There's, there's no slowing down. I know that's the case. No, I could tell you how, how, you you know, me, Tom, I like to get out. I like to share our vision. I like to share what AD Colburn and what coach Norvell and what coach Hamilton and Sue and everybody's working on and the relationship I've been able to develop with our coaching staff, because it, it with, for us to be able to go out and share their visions, we need to have that communication. And it's, it's amazing to be able to sit down and, and hear the vision and dreams of, of everyone. And then let's put in the processes to make FSU the, the best organization that it could possibly be. Michael Alford, president and CEO of Seminole Boosters. We'll take a break and come back with more front row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ back with you. Okay, let's go back to uh, on-the-court, on-the-field type activity. That was a really enlightening conversation though with Michael Alford from Seminole Boosters. I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, this will also be enlightening, but uh, not so much behind the scenes on, on NIL and, and how the sausage is made and revenue is generated for boosters. But let's go on court first, I guess. And Keith and I just commented briefly on it because it's all in the rearview mirror, but the Michigan Florida state game, as you watched it unfold and in light of the result, your biggest takeaway was, you know, mine was just that Michigan was a better team. I, that, that's just flat out it, especially in the second half, offensively just too efficient. You know, I mean, we can talk about foul trouble and officiating and all those good things, uh, three-point shooting misses, but but Michigan was just flat out better. That, that's the way it went. 
you know, the thing that impressed me, Tommy, excuse me to interrupt you. The thing that impressed me, number one, how well Michigan shot the ball in the second half. But, you know, when you get a high brow NBA player, 19 years, Howard was in the NBA and they could become a coach. You, you sometimes think that, you know, they don't know the fundamentals that Michigan's game plan. They knew Florida state was switching one through five and they made sure their bigs understood what to do when Kupfer was on the point guard, and they absolutely exploited it. I thought it was the best game plan I've ever seen in a long, long time against that Florida State defense. Yeah, and Juwan has you know incredible experience, not just learning from NBA coaches he played with, but you know Eric Spolster with the Miami Heat. I'm sure a lot of Pat Riley through the years has rubbed off for him. Um, he considers Leonard Hamilton a mentor. They've they've bounced ideas off each other, and and Juwan has visited Tallahassee. So, but yeah, Michigan had a great game plan. They shot almost seventy percent from the floor against a really good Florida State defense in the second half. You know, sometimes you just have to say it, it's just not your day, and, and move on from there. And it was it was an exceptional run for Florida State, but you know clearly they lost to a, to a better team. They did. They did. And, the, you know, the irony is I watched Michigan play last night. I thought Michigan in the Elite Eight game looked like Florida State did against Michigan and that they were not confident in taking their shots. Uh, and the next thing you know, they're headed home instead of the final four. So that surprised me. But anyway, let's let's turn the page. Uh, there's there's time to talk about hoops. We all agree the future's bright. I can't speak for the three of us. I'll speak for me to say that. And this has been said by others, but if we would have said sweet 16 at the start of the year, when we knew two guys were gone to the NBA draft and Trent Forrest was gone, we all would have signed up and, and, and truthfully, I'll say it right now for next year, next year's team is going to be better. You get to the sweet 16. And then from there, you just got to get lucky and get matched. There is no guarantee. Even if all five guys they put on the court next year are first round picks. And I'm not saying there are, but they're clearly very talented. There's still no guarantee. Once you get there, you know, you got to be playing the play. That, that's tournament play. That's why we love it. Yep, exactly right. All right, on the football field, Bob, uh, we're, we're creeping closer to this, the spring football game. We were just talking about the ticket priority deadline with Michael Alford, which is coming up on April 9th, and then the spring game right after that. What's uh, since, since last we chatted, what's caught your eye, or, or where has the focus moved on the gridiron? You know, I think Saturday's scrimmage, you saw some some positives, especially with the defensive front. That that front four was very effective at you know, honestly, the the offensive line couldn't keep up in pass protection. It, it, was, it was difficult to see the offenses do anything first or second team. You know, they had a touchdown early on, but then I think two field goals and about 15 or so drives. It, it just shows you that that right now with the players who are available from an offensive line standpoint, so you're without Devontae Love-Taylor, Thomas Schrader, you know, two of your top guys, your best bet is to run and use a guy like Jay Sean Corbin, Lawrence Tofili, to throw to those guys in the screen game and, and to try and pick and pick some pieces here and there on Terry Wilson. Um, you know, I think Kentron Poitier, we, we saw him, you know, really have moments and then have other moments where he wasn't running through the ball. He wasn't laying out. He definitely could have gone after and, and really sought that ball to help out his quarterback. Um, so the offense is still, figuring things out, finding that rhythm. Um, there's not a lot of downfield big plays yet. Um, some encouraging signs, though. Mackenzie Milton is moving really, really well. As I told a bunch of people, he does not look like a guy who had a catastrophic 
injury two years ago. He looks like a guy who might have been coming off some kind of scope or cleanup six months ago. He moves really, really well. Jordan Travis moves really well. Of course, we know that. Um, Jordan still looks like the best quarterback out there. Looks very yet. I, I just think that's going to take a lot more time. It, it's maybe just something he's going to have to continue to work on. Bob, it's not sexy to talk about in the spring, but do we have a problem in the kicking game? I mean, both of the specialists appear to have struggled, to put it mildly. Yeah, I think Norvell said there's been some inconsistencies, especially surprising with Alex Mastromano at punter. But when we saw him on Saturday, um, there were – I wasn't out there with a tape measure and going, is that, is that one 47 or 43 or – 52 but they all looked good they all had good hang time so I felt like he punted really really well in that second scrimmage Saturday um I I think they're they're still kind of figuring things out at kicker you know Ryan Fitzgerald hit the goal post and I kind of turned to somebody and said was that intentional was that like a game of horse are are we trying to hit the goal post or um or is that just a just a little bit of a mess um you know, I think in the spring, you just got to kind of work through these things and, and, and kind of refine your techniques, see how it's going. I, I don't have a whole lot of concerns about that group. I think when you've got a team that's got, frankly, quite a few concerns, those guys are, are maybe just lower on my list. We're talking with Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. I'll remind our listeners to go ahead and subscribe to the Osceola if you haven't done so already. Bob, we've got abbreviated time with you today because uh, uh, we went overtime with Michael Alford in that conversation. I'm going to jump to baseball real quick, and uh, and I'm just going to take this one for the team because I've now gone to four games this year, and two of them were the Pitt series, which was a disaster. Uh, I was there Friday night, which looked an awful lot like the Friday night Pitt game until Cabell got a two-run hit late for a win, but I was also there Sunday when they lost, so I'm just going to have to stop going. But my question to you, so we saw, we've seen the FSU baseball team that has struggled and not lived up to the pitching hype like this weekend. And we've seen the one that's destroyed Miami and Florida. So who is the true, which is the true FSU baseball team? Maybe a little bit of both, honestly. I, I think, I think they've at times really gotten good starting pitching. Um, you know, Parker Messick has been pretty consistent on that Friday night role. Um, you know, Hubbard didn't go very deep on Saturday and then you went to the bullpen. Um, we've seen just kind of hit and miss performances it feels like it's still going to be the year of the pitcher overall. We're still seeing a lot of strikeouts. That's a, a tough thing because offensively, how do you how do you push runs across the plate unless you're hitting long balls? Um, in Four State's case, they hit a ton of long balls over the weekend. It just they weren't able to keep up in, in a in a slugfest. I, I think in the end, there are enough positives to make you feel like this is a team that's going to come together and be really good. Some questions with with injuries and depth. They've got a couple guys still hitting under 200, which, which really isn't, isn't good at college baseball at all. You have to see those guys get their swing in, in gear, but um, we have to leave you with this. I mean, Tyler Martin has a 5.527 uh, on base percentage, which is just silly over 20 games. But if he keeps this up, I mean, that's, that's got to be one of the best seasons for a leadoff guy that we've seen in, in FSU or, or in the conference play. Bob, we'll let you go. Good to catch up. Take care, guys. We'll make up for it next week. (laughs) Bob Ferrante, our Osceola Insider. More Front Row Knowles right after this.
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Time to wrap things up on Front Row Knowles. Keith, I'll give you the floor, as always, to react to what was a, a really meaty interview with Michael Alford and then a, an abbreviated interview, but a good one with Bob Ferrante. Well, I think Florida State is in a great position with, with Michael's involvement in the NIL. I, I you know, am, am not as pro-NIL as he is because I'm an old-timer. And um, I think if you had a private conversation with with Michael, he would acknowledge that, you know, most of us that have been around for 40 years, plus or minus, we're very skeptical about this image and the likeness. But Florida State is in a really, really good position with him being a part of that committee and co-chairing that committee. In that, um, you know, he'll have the insight and the benefit of all those conversations, all those ideas. So when Florida State is putting together their program to assist student athletes. And as he talked about athletes in general, or excuse me, students in general, uh, I think that's a positive. And uh, so for whatever the negatives this old timers may fear, I think because of Michael's position, Florida state will be in a much better position to maybe dodge some of those potholes to landmines or anything in between. Um, the other thing I was going to bring up is, you know, this inconsistency with meat and, and with the baseball knolls, you know, again, another thing that's interesting about baseball, you know, is you got to get hot at the right time. And if you've never been hot or you've never shown that you've got great pitching and great hitting, then you don't know if you can resurrect that if you get into the postseason. Well, we know they can do that. At least they've shown flashes of that. So consistency uh, is something that is of concern but, you know, I don't know about you. I'd be interested in your opinion. I'm not particularly worried that, you know, you've lost two series um, this early in the season. Uh, I mean, I, I go back to what they did against Florida in the three games against Miami. And as long as you know you can do that, uh, I think you've got an opportunity anytime you're, you, you set foot on the field. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's not as easy as flipping a switch, but I do think there was a little bit of a I don't know if it was lack of focus or lack of attention to detail or maybe not knowing how to uh, handle the prosperity they had had against Miami and Florida, because clearly they let down against UCF, but won that game. Didn't didn't uh, overwhelm at the plate on Friday night against Wake, but won the game late. I wasn't at the Saturday game, which they lost eight, seven. And then Sunday, uh, candidly, they went up two nothing in the first inning. But they left the bases loaded, and the pitcher was not in good shape for Wake at that point. They could have they been let up, him off the hook. They yep. could have been up six or eight nothing after. They let him off the hook. They let him off the hook. Uh, I will say for those who weren't paying attention this weekend, though, Florida State was the first five bats in the order really solid. And then there's right now it's dead weight that Bob was talking about, but they were missing two key players there. Logan Lacey was out, and also over the weekend uh, the shortstop got hurt which that came back to bite FSU. Not that he's hitting 300, but he's more consistent at the plate than what they have as an alternative. And there was an error in the six hole in that Sunday game that led to Wake getting the win ultimately. Um, so a couple of key pieces were, were missing. I'm not, I'm not overly concerned, uh, but you would. Maybe, maybe this is the one time they, they realize they've learned their lesson on it. Uh, and as we've talked about, there's certain lessons you can learn and there's other lessons you have to experience and you would much rather experience them during the regular season and not have to experience them in the postseason. Yeah, of course, the baseball team is playing uh, Mercer tonight, I guess, uh, as we're in conversation. 
Uh, did they reschedule that because of weather, or did you? Was there another event that, that made them reschedule that? I've never heard. Because it didn't rain last night, did it? No, no, it wasn't supposed to be last night. It was early. It was like a month ago. I think it might have been canceled for COVID reasons, or I don't remember why it was canceled. Um, but it, it it got rescheduled for tonight. Um, I think Mercer was supposed to play Florida yesterday, and I don't know why that got canceled. Maybe that. Maybe was that's what I'm confusing. But anyway. Anyway, they'll be, they'll be on the uh, at Hauser tonight. So if you get out there, if you're listening to us right now, take a left turn as opposed to a right turn going home. Take a left turn and go out to Hauser and watch the ball game. It's amazing how you know which direction everybody has to travel to get home, Keith. That's why you're the expert, and that's why it's our 50 50 chance, Tommy. It's a 50 50 chance. That's why our listeners tune in. All right, we're out of time. Uh, folks, enjoyed it as always. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles. Dark sarcasm in the classroom.